because I am Stella and I am part of Stellavision here at the Funny About Books podcast and I am tonight talking to two of my favourite comedians, Mandy Nolan and Ellen Briggs, who have written Women Like Us, which is apropos of their comedy event <laughs> that they've been running now for three years you've been doing this now. Almost four. Almost four. I know. And we couldn't, we said, what are we going to call the book? We went, um... Women like us. You know when you go like, I think it's a good title. They'll know it's ours. They will indeed. So this is a podcast about comedians who actually take the comedy sketch just that bit further, who take that line for a very, very long walk and turn it into a published manuscript. Now, if it's okay with you, Ellen, Mandy, this is in fact your fourth outing as an author. Yes, it is. It's so funny. You always sound like a wanker when you say that. I was telling Ellen the other day, not that I'm a wanker because she knows, uh, but I rang up some place up in Queensland. It was a library to say, could I, you know, I was trying to find a room because I run writer's workshops, right? And the guy was treating me like I had shit all over me. Like, oh, 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 no, we're a library and we have authors coming in. He goes, have you written any books? And I went, yes, four. And he went, oh, four. Oh, of course, you can. And then I, I hung up on him. <laughs> what, a, what a wanker. Like, was this, and it's funny, yeah, I have written four. So that was my four thing of how it's not as impressive as it's. It's nice to see the book craze growing with your name on it. But, you know, it's not as hard. It, it, the writing a book seems, I think if you're writing fiction, it's a lot harder than writing memoir because they're four memoirs and they're an extension. Because when you're a comic, often when you're writing, when you're on stage, you can tell something, but you can't get to the heart sometimes of a story because you're often in a pub or somewhere where you can't, you can't tell what you want to tell. So writing allows you to, to really draw something out and tell something that's sometimes really sad and funny. And has mm. pathos, and and you found that too, yeah, Ellen. Yeah, well, there's there's stories that that you want to share with people, but they're not they're not going to be for stand up comedy, you know. If you came up and told those stories, you'd have shit thrown at you, you know. It's not it's not stand up. Some comedians do, lots do actually. <laughs> hey. And I throw shit at them. Yeah, she does. Um, <laughs> she goes, write a book, you dickhead. <laughs> And they do. Um, so so it, it's like you can expand on that stuff a lot more. And, um, and yeah, you know, because I'm actually, you know, quite a serious person off stage, I guess, aren't I? So it's, it, was, it was kind of, it was harder for me to be funny with the book. I became more like um, my serious angry self <laughs> when I was writing the book than I am on stage. And that was part of it too was... You know, so co-writing is really different, like three of them by myself, and then you're completely in control of where it goes and how you shape it. But to try and write with someone else and to make sure that you're not crossing over, that you you, you, you sometimes going, well, if you write about that, I can't write about that. Because often, you know, there's a lot of subjects we could write the same things on and, and divvying that up. So that was an interesting process. Well, you have... Fortunately, jumped ahead about five questions. Have I? Sorry. No, that's we all will right. always interview ourselves, Stella. <laughs> ah. That's quite all right. So I want to just dial it back just right. a little Good. bit. So, Mandy, your, your entree into comedy is well documented, but Ellen's not so much. So I've got a question about that. And I've also got a question about the two of you together. So 
just if I know it's I know you're not comfortable with this, Mandy, but could you just take a back step? <laughs> I'm good. No, I'm she's good. learning. And, 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 and no, Alan, she's very good. Just she, the, the thing break is, the hymen. How did you do it? <laughs> how, how, how did you get to comedy there? Um, well, I it was by accident. I was actually writing a book. After I had my twins, I was at home and I was bored shitless and I was, so I was writing. But I, I had jobs. I worked for the federal government for many years and then for local government. So I was smart at one point Because ASIO employs life. across the level, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and then I decided to stay home when, when we had our kids because my husband does work overseas for eight months of the year. So I was at home with the kids and bored. Do you want to in, just embellish on that because there's – three men out of about 70 women in the room and they would be impressed to know what your husband does. Okay. Um, he, six men that will be okay. impressed. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to message him and tell him. Um, <laughs> he's a mechanic for Valentino Rossi, who's an Italian motorbike rider. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah, he's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the bar staff have gone viral, okay, and that's that's good. But it, that's kind of fun, isn't it, that your partner does something as interesting as you yeah. do and that you get to share that? Yeah, well, it's nice you say as interesting as I do because most people don't think it's as interesting as I do. They think it's more interesting than what I do. <laughs> uh, for a long time I was known as that woman who's married to that guy that works for Valentino Rossi and then I became... Oh, that woman who had the twins who's married to that guy that works for Valentino Rossi. And I was like, fuck this, I've got to do something on my own. Um, so I was writing I was writing a book and it was becoming um, increasingly funnier, or I thought it was, but, <laughs> but not funny enough. And Mandy was running these and is still running the courses in And, in and Mandy, so Byron. you have now run courses and taught over 1,500 people to do stand-up comedy. I have, and five of them are working, Stella. That's right. <laughs> so, and very good and that says two rate. things, two things, which is either stand-up comedy is incredibly hard or you're not very good at teaching. Well, it wouldn't make sense for me to be that good. <laughs> <laughs> because I think, because in, in the book... Them, it's, in a, the it's, book a cult. it's a cult, Stella. I've created people that look up to me. Um, no, it is hard. It, it is a it's cult. Hard. It is um, a cult. Let's just stop on that one for a minute. <laughs> it is a cult. If um, if Mandy told them to drink the Kool Aid, they'd fucking drink it. <laughs> you know, like there's a whole lot of people who I I sometimes MC in Mandy's room. She also has a whole lot of um, comedy rooms, and <laughs> they get really angry when she's not there. And so, and I like making people angry. So from backstage. <laughs> I always say, please welcome to the stage your MC for the evening, Mandy Nolan, and I whip them into a frenzy and then come on stage and go, fuck you, she's not here. <laughs> and then I have to work really hard because it's a comedy night and I want them to like me. But yeah. anyway, um, we're off track. So I was writing the book and then I contacted Mandy. I remember the phone conversation actually. I rang Mandy and said, look, I'm writing this book um, would your comedy course help me write it? I don't want to do stand-up. I don't want to no, do anything No, in fact, like in your book it says that you actually told people you were doing something completely different, yeah. like jewellery making. Yeah, so she set piano playing, actually. I was going – I was getting a babysitter She's over a once a week. She's a piano player. <laughs> yeah, because I never got a lesson because I was at your course and you don't teach piano. Well, um, no, not yet. So I was, getting, I was getting a babysitter over and telling her that I was – 
going to piano lessons, um, but really I was doing the stand-up comedy course and I had no intention at all of standing up at the end of it. And, and, and why Mandy, was that? Um, well, because I didn't want to do stand-up comedy. I just wanted to write a book. So you're kind of reluctant stand-up comedy. I was very reluctant, but Mandy's a big bully and um, forced me to do it. And I did that five minutes and I was like, wow, I that was him, fun. Yeah. I bullied you into empowerment. Yeah. <laughs> And if you read the book, there are are comments that suggest that you wanted to give up from time to time, Ellen. And look, to be fair, I would look out on our crowd tonight and even though you all feel sort of, you know, imbued by maybe the alcohol you've drunk for the evening and could possibly get up on stage and do a bit of stand-up comic, probably most of you would have to visit the bathroom before you did that. Because it's not easy, is it? No. No. Especially not when you start out. Um... And, you know, you still have – I mean, I had I had a really shitty gig last week, you know, at a, at a corporate for a fucking cattle company because my career's going gangbusters. And it was terrible. You know, it was ter- – and, and years ago I would have gone, that's it, I'm done, I'm giving up. But I just – the whole time I was on stage, I was like, think of the money. It's a corporate. Okay, think so of the money. <laughs> two, two, two questions. I don't care if you hate me. I'll never see you again. Bypart question. How did you console yourself? And, Mandy, how do you kind of keep Ellen going in that space? Because you are – it would appear Teflon-coated. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, no, I'm not absolutely. No, it's hard. she's not It's definitely hard sometimes when you come out. I've, I've kept Ellen going a few times because we all want to be – we all have such unreal – piano playing is a really good metaphor because, you know, when you see someone play the piano, you don't go, oh, my God, they're a natural. I bet they just got up and did that. And and there's an, there's no sense of uh, – there's a sense that you know they've done it. I know for like 12, 13 years they missed parties, they had to get up, they had a real discipline. So when you get good at something like stand-up, which is kind of a weird craft anyway, you have to be prepared to put that time in. You have to be prepared – to be terrible and you had to be prepared for the humility of um, of not being liked. And how, how do you resolve that with yourself? How do you resolve that with ha- how you drive home? I've driven home crying in the car, like bawling. And then you get out and you go, oh, I'm okay. Like I felt like a catharsis where you just go, um, it, I, I have a special gift that I can feel the pain of when people hate you, they hate you, but I don't take it, for, like I'll feel it, but I get out of the car and honestly I leave it there. But, yeah, thank you. Yeah. But you, you kind of think you never not feel it. But that's part of the craft is – and comics that don't acknowledge that they've died on stage shit me as well because they'll go, that was great. You go, no, it wasn't. I saw that. <laughs> and what do you know if we want to do that? And – and when it does happen to you, to not spend the whole time, it's so self-indulgent to beat up on yourself constantly to actually go, okay, this is part. What can I learn from this? What was happening on that night? Was it me? Was it the audience? How could it have been different? You know, should I have even taken that job or what did I do? And that kind of keeps you in it. So I think when you understand it's a long road to actually get... I mean, I've been doing this for... I started at 17. I'm 51. I almost can't tell people how old long I've been doing it. I didn't get average until I was 28, you know, and then I started to get... I didn't really come into my own until about probably eight years ago when I really started to improve and become... When you met me. I think that's what it is. Because <laughs> I said, she's good. I better fucking lift my game. Uh, no, 
and, but it takes a long time and everyone has their own time in which they which you mature in and, and which you actually start. And there's things I do now that I never thought I'd be able to do as a comic, you know, that I don't have a list, I don't... I don't I just it, things that I never thought I could. I just have to recite everything when I went out there. So that's, I think that's a big part of it. I think it's just allowing yourself the grace of being ordinary, because you will never achieve anything. These ridiculous expectations of instant gratification and being amazing straight away, without seeing how hard you have to work, how much humility you need, and how much commitment you need to give yourself to achieve an outcome. And that, that's why Ellen's got good because she stuck at it. She tried to give up a few times and I was like, what <laughs> there, there was one time I had a really, really shit gig. You it, know? Wasn't like that, it, was, it wasn't that shit. It was shit. And, <laughs> and I only had one more show booked and it was an all-female line-up. I think, I, I think it was Mandy, myself and Fiona O'Loughlin and I was the support. And I emailed Mandy the next day and I said, oh, I'm giving up, I'm not doing it, you get someone else for that gig. And she shot an email back and said, no, I can't get anyone else, the posters have gone out, you committed to it, you don't get to just say that you can't do it. And I said, all right, I'll do it and I'll be shit and you're not, it'll be ruined and fuck you. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so I turn up on the night and I'm real like, fuck you, you know, this is going to be shit. And I think because I was angry and I really didn't care, like I just went, you know what, this is it, I'm not doing it again. I had the best gig ever. <laughs> and I came off and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do another one. Yeah, all right, we'll see, we'll see well, how it goes. the truth is you don't present as angry ever. You actually present as two incredibly good friends <laughs> and the book is a testament to that. And so Women Like Us kind of came out of a place that – uh, recognise that the larger scope of comedy in Australia is relatively, and do forgive me, fellas, I really appreciate you being here, but as a male-dominated uh, d- domain. And so you two kind of tapped into that place that recognised that there were a whole lot of audience out there that really appreciated being told stories about what it is to be, well, you know... It's not very sexy to be a middle-aged woman these days. So you kind of tapped into that place and your friendship really uh, cemented that. So do you want to talk to that for a little bit? Yeah. Can I I just, before we do that, I thought my drink would last longer. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It never does. So what's your order? Next book. I thought my drink would last because longer. Because I have to say the bar that's staff, the one, that's they're the down book with I you. I haven't finished yet. <laughs> it's a vodka and soda in a tall glass. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's on its way. And it'll be I'm faster sorry. than an Uber. Now, we've got a, this lady up the front. You've been very keen. Oh, thank you. If you can't hear that, she's saying they're absolutely sensational. Oh, <laughs> funny in high school like or primary or kinder or in the in utero? Um, I think some of my friends say I, I was, you know, and I like to think I was. I used to, you know, we all think we're funnier when we're pissed. <laughs> I'm hilarious when I'm pissed. Um, you'll see in a minute. Um <laughs> I don't think I, I I don't think I was. I'm I'm actually quite an introvert, you know, and I was quite serious and especially at school I was quite academic and um I wanted to study law. So I was very serious at school. I mean other than the boys that I was having sex it's with. It's a different stuff, kind. Of, yeah. <laughs> they probably thought I was funny. <laughs> but it's a sort of different sort of law, isn't it, doing stand up? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I no, I don't. I don't think I was like the. You know, I've got friends who are hilarious. Mm. Who who I would say they are the funny person at a party. I'm not making any yeah. party better Stewie, when I turn up. up basically. And, and ladies and gentlemen, can I just Thanks, can I just Stewie. do a little pretend Hi. commercial break? Thank this is you. Stewie over there is Scotty. They Stewie's run this joint. Just bought my drink. He's no, no, the they best have turned this place around. And I just want to make a brief mention to Two Birds, who are sponsored tonight. I think that's fair enough. Alcohol sponsoring lady comics being yeah. funny. Thank you. That's a massive drink Actually, too. That'll it, get me interestingly, going. Interestingly, when I teach, because I have taught fifteen hundred people or more now, um, they keep coming. And um, what like are they find, looking for, Mandy? Well, people look for their voice. They want to know what, what what they have to say. And I love teaching. Like it's an amazing skill to teach people. They may be stand up comics, like Hannah Gadsby did it as well. She never tells people she did my comedy course, but she fucking did. Um, I know. And you go like she. But but people find their voice. And very often, for me teaching comedy, it's about. Are people that come from areas where they're from the margins, you know, comedy is still very much a, a genre about um, white men, predominantly, you know, hetero white men. So anyone who comes from the margins, you go, you go into a comedy scene to try and get your comedy time up. And if you're older, if you're gender diverse, if you're a woman, um, if you're from another ethnicity, it, it's not a comfortable place to, to sit because you're not part of that little gang. So a comedy course allows you a little bit of confidence to get a sense of community within that group you've done it with to actually do it. And and when someone comes in, I'm doing it because I was always the class clown and I'm my friend, I go, you'll be shit. Yeah. Uh, it's always the introverts. It's the outsider because it's an outsider's mind. It's a person that sits on the edge and watches and sees things. And yeah, you can still be funny, but there's a part of you which is actually quite reflective because you have to be noticing. Like if you spend the whole time just blabbing at people and doing that, you're not noticing what's really happening. So in a sense, you are funny, but you can turn it on and off. And you, you usually you're, you're back. Some of the funniest comics I know are just so boring to hang around. Yeah. Uh, don't think it's fun. You're going, oh, fuck, we're much more interesting than them. Um, <laughs> but as far as speaking to parody in the industry, it's something I'm really passionate about. I'm very passionate about um, mentoring and supporting women into the industry all the time, which is a big part. Well, Will Anderson came from a regional part of Australia mm. and in his introspective state as a young sort of high school student, decided that he wanted to do comedy. And so when he turned on the television, he saw lots of men doing lots of comedy and felt no compunction to resist his desire. He kind of thought mm. that could be me because that's what I'm looking yeah. at. This is, the, uh, this is the archetype. Now, for a lot of young women, that's still not out there. Now, that is changing. And listen, I, I, I really don't want to put men offside in any, in any respect. Um, a man told me a while ago that he doesn't like women doing the sort of self-deprecating comedy that he sees a, a fair bit. But if you think about it, for a millennium, we've been told to shut the fuck up. Mm. So I think what's really happening is in this watershed moment, women are finding their voice and I guess you two uh, emulate that in that respect. So um, thank you. That, that's, yeah. a, that's a nice round of well, applause. But look, let's not get too up ourselves. At the same time, we kind of need to bring everybody with us. I know. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's true and I think, you know, in a sense it's different for women in comedy and, you know, it's always challenging because I had to come as a young woman coming through comedy 
it was how much as, as I was, and I was a young feminist woman, but I was also young feminist heterosexual woman that still wanted men to find her attractive. And you know what they don't find attractive? Is a mouthy woman that speaks her mind and allows herself to be seen as unattractive and puts like really and does. And that, that was a powerful dichotomy to have all the time to... Um, just to have that thing as bad, bad, particularly when I was young. As I'm getting older, it's more liberating. But as I was going through my 20s, it was always really hard to push myself to the places that men could go to and still be perceived um, in positive ways, whereas a woman I would do it and I would be seen as... Um, there's a repulsion there used to be in seeing a woman doing that mm. and that it was like, oh... And it's true. There was a thing came out recently that goes, funny, you know, men, women find... Men, funny men, attractive, and it's not in the reverse. No. It really isn't. Like you, you're in, not. You might find. I know you find me attractive, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying because no, it's just How because we, ch- it's, it's it's about changing the way we perceive ourselves and and as women how we've been taught to be consumed by the viewer and how we're seen and then when you stand on stage and you allow yourself to be the architect of your own demise it's really all and celebrate what's wrong with you Uh, it's powerful and it's threatening Mm. I guess I think less now I think people are starting to embrace it now Um, and and in the live comedy industry you often find yourself um, in green rooms that uh, are full of men who are between 20 and 30 oh, years old. How much old. fun is that, Ellen? Oh, well, <laughs> I was actually talking to... I did a show last night and I was talking about one time at the Gold Coast Arts Centre when I... I'm a mad crocheter and I couldn't... I had to go to work but I wanted to keep crocheting. So can you imagine? I've turned up in my frock... They're doing coke. ..with my bun on... <laughs> And these young guys are just going, I'm going to do my 10 minutes about my cock. And, and I walk in and go, hi, I'm Ellen, hi, I'm Ellen, and get my crocheting out. They <laughs> barely had a cock by the end of that. She did make them cock warmers. They couldn't. Uh. <laughs> and that, you, you know, the, of course they're not going to talk to me. They're not going to bother and I don't really want to, you know. But, um, oh, you know, there's some really great... There are some great men in this industry as well. Oh, we, I've met we, some amazing men in the industry. Absolutely. Who have been really supportive and... Mandy would have too. Oh, fantastic. And they've been really supportive and they've been... Um, no, they have. There are. There, Actually, there we, are. we have some of our best champ, our greatest champions are blokes in the industry that, you know... But it's, 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 a, hard, it's a hard industry anyway. Look, it is. But even in the promotion of this event, you were interviewed by some fantastic uh, media representatives and I still heard them say, who's looking after the kids? I know. And we said, we don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) Who is looking after the kids? Because it's not, isn't it true, Ellen? It's so funny. Well, it's been, that's a real bugbear of mine because we all know what my husband does now. And he, this is his 27th year in that job. And he, we, our, our kids are 18 and he has never once been asked, who looks after your kids when you are overseas for eight months of a year? Never once. I was putting fuel in my car once and the fucking guy at the garage asked me. <laughs> Who looks after your kids when you go away all the time? And I was like, what are you offering? <laughs> yeah, soon we He's can. He's never been asked. He's never been asked. Robots. I just find that astounding. Wait for the robots, Ellen. Robots. 
No one's looking after him. Who cares? It, um, well, we, we have some compliance that, that suggests that we should probably have somebody in charge. And um, somebody here tonight knows who's looking after mine, but I'm not sure who. Good. Uh, look, in, <laughs> look, in any event, it is a bit of a bugbear and it seems to be the lot of the female because you notice that female politicians get asked that all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, Matthias Cormann, uh, Joe Hockey, um, who's our Prime Minister at the moment? I can't quite remember. We've had so many. Scott Turnbull. That would be it. Um, it never comes up. It n- never comes up. And, 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 and if they w- don't have kids, if the women don't have kids in politics, then they're looked on as hard and barren and there must be something wrong with them. That's right. The they haven't had ball. children. So... You know oh, that empty you can't fruit win bowl. If you do, when you that can't whole win Julia if you Gillard empty fruit bowl thing. Is every time my fruit bowl looks empty because I work so much in my way, I'm going, oh fuck, I better get some fruit. Because <laughs> if people come over and they see my not just my empty fruit bowl, my wizened lemon. <laughs> the flip side oh, is, no. what a poor mother I actually am. <laughs> Look at her; she hasn't even got a ripe banana. <laughs> Mine's full of coffee pods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The flip side is they actually comprise a large component of your material. Yeah. yeah. And your daughter has left the building tonight, Mandy. Um, she's out. I think no, she's, she's there. Now. She went she's she's still there. out for a ciggy. So yeah. she, she, that's one of my daughters. She might actually add to this interview, which is how do you feel, and you too, Ellen, how do you feel about having now written and performed material about your kids and knowing that they're going to kind of ingest that? I was watching, uh, Sophia, if you don't Can mind me, I was she watching doesn't this mind. She's good. And She's you're having a great to. time watching your mum do her material. But, but but that is an interesting component, isn't it, that yeah. you actually put all that stuff out there. Well, can you read the... Um you know, the dedication, is that what it's called? The forward or whatever, where we dedicate the book to someone? Read that and that kind of answers the I questions. Can. To our husbands and kids, just because it's about you doesn't mean it's for you. Um, <laughs> anyway, thanks. Your disinterest <laughs> allows us the creative freedom to say what we really think. You'll never read this dedication because you won't open the book till we're dead. <laughs> Uh, maybe not even then. Yeah, um, yeah, there you go. That's pretty well it. <laughs> it, it is like that and it's kind of different. Like I've brought up – I didn't become a comedian after I had children. It was happened – I was a comedian for years and that and so I've breastfed on stage performing, not because not I was trying to make a statement because my first husband was a heroin addict and he was nodding off out the back and he was supposed to be looking after the kids but he'd fallen asleep. Uh, <laughs> that's funny, you can laugh. Uh, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Uh, but it's in his book. Uh, <laughs> Which is interesting because he's not really the best at spelling, is he? No, he wasn't. But that and that was and that was um so the kids were used to it in the sense where there's some things that you like clearly there's some stories that you don't tell. But we've, I suppose it's part of my sense, my values and the way I, uh, way, way I parent is quite different probably to some other people. And the kids, have, I assume, probably they'll write some mummy dearest memoir themselves one day. <laughs> but I, I just think we're sort of, you know, you know, it's part of the learning kind of curve where I talk about my experiences with the kids and some of it goes to the fact, and, and my older daughter who's not here tonight, she's, and if she was here I'd talk about it anyway because it's in the book. And she's um, 
had a long struggle with eating disorder and mental health issues. And I wrote about that in that book because I often see those real stories are minimised and I think I, I don't think we do credit to the richness of our stories unless we tell some of the hard stuff. And I clearly asked her with permission when I, told, when I wrote the story that's in the book about that because I, I think they're powerful stories. And I think if we only tell the kind of... the tri if, if we trivialise too much, we forget to share the stuff that actually means something. And, you know, maybe I should or maybe I shouldn't, but I don't have a filter. <laughs> and my kids know that. And you know what? None of them have a fucking filter either. <laughs> and that... Yeah! High five for no filters! I think it's good. And I'm <laughs> breeding filterless people. <laughs> We, we, we don't, we, we're very, we're flawed, we're broken, we're fucked up, but we're honest. And that's, that's, that's sort of who we are. Yeah, here's to dysfunctions. <laughs> um, and, uh, Ellen, how did you take then to writing the memoir and having to reveal information around your partner and your two children? Yeah. And you do a lot of routines about them and you do a lot of material Heaps. about them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it wasn't. It, it there was a lot that wasn't easy. I mean, I had to. I had to kind of go deeper than obviously than what you go on stage. Um, my husband and my kids are really cool, despite what I say on stage about them. They um, well, there's a level of disinterest with my kids that makes them cool. <laughs> they, you know, they do work in in Woolworths. They're fucking really kicking goals, um, and. <laughs> In a small country town where everybody knows each other, you know, people say to them all the time, oh, it must be amazing, you know, like living, living with your mum. She must be so funny. And they look at them like, you're fucking kidding? Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't see that side of me at all, you know. I'm their mum. They don't care. But they, they're incredibly um, honest. I have one kid who is one of those fully sick dudes who is right into his car, you know, the cars that have the wheels that aren't on straight. And um, it has a horn that goes ba 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 And it has a light in the back that spins and he fucking revs the shit out of it everywhere and goes to slide meets. And the other kid um, is a graffiti artist, we like to call him. He goes out in, um, in black hoodies at night and... and <laughs> And, he, no, he doesn't tag. He's an artist. He does fucking giant murals. He's really good, right? So he's a bit of a loser. Um, <laughs> was that apparently? Apparently. Um, and I know that they do that. They're completely honest with me. They, I know what they get up to. The, the car guy, you know, sliding his car around and the other guy spraying his shit around. I know all that and... I, I don't know if I'm parenting right. I don't know. But at, at least I know what you they're doing. You give it a doing. crack, Ellen. You give it a good crack. They're all right, aren't they, my kids? They're not doing Yeah, in the old they're... days, we'd go to the CWA and we'd bitch about them, but now we just go to a gig. Well, I... <laughs> I kind of think about what I... I was very dishonest as a child, you know, like I was really doing shit behind my parents' back I, and they thought I was perfect to the point that not long ago um, I was visiting my mum when she was still in her house and my ex-boyfriend from when I was uh, a teenager came over and visited and I opened the front door to him and my mother was standing with me and he goes, fuck, it's weird coming through the front door here. <laughs> I always used to jump in the window. And... <laughs> 
And my mum goes, oh, stop it. You did not. And we were like, yeah, he did. But she still didn't want to believe it, you know, whereas my kids tell they tell me everything and your kids are the same, aren't they? Sometimes you don't want to hear everything. Sometimes uh, you don't want to know. Um, I've heard some stuff that yeah. I won't repeat. If I told the real stuff about my kids, you know what they tell me. Yeah. I wouldn't. No, I'm not going to. That's in the next book. We tell each other. <laughs> That's the stuff we save for road trips. So, so no, my, my um, yeah, my kids and my husband were fine about it, you know. I mean, my kid, they, they're not going to read that. And I'm up to my third husband. My kids husband. aren't going to read it. It's not on YouTube. <laughs> the second husband didn't like it so much. But he was cool. The first husband didn't. <laughs> Yours looks fine because he's away. He doesn't even know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Alex is just happy that I'm fucking not watching Housewives of New yeah. York City or something, you know. Like I'm actually doing something now. He finds me more interesting. And it's also a joke. That's the other yeah. part is that when you're making anything, like it's not like half of what you do is when you when you teach people is you use it's – like it's like you bounce off the reality into – a lateral explosion into thought. So, you know, most of 70% of what I tell you is true and 30% is me taking it further, and we do, we take it further for humour because otherwise you go, no, nah, it's not funny, it's what really happened. Yeah. You go, well, fuck off, make it funny. Yeah. Uh, it's a show. I don't want to have a factual, you know, kind of thing about your life. So you, you can you use your experience to give you truth but then you bounce into something that is funny and hopefully, sometimes it makes your kids look terrible, but they don't care, do you? Or mainly it makes me look terrible, doesn't it? It's about making you look a bit yeah. shit. And, I, you know, the, know, the jokes I make about my husband, he, he does this thing. If, I, if we ever do the show locally, he thinks this is the most hilarious thing. He'll turn up and stand at the back and have a beer. And then during the break when I'm finished and he sees lots of people he knows, he goes, oh, I just got here. She didn't say anything about me, did she? <laughs> And people look really uncomfortable and he fucking loves it. And he tells me about it. And I saw Jono and he looked real nervous. And <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so he gets it. He gets it. Yeah, yeah no, no, of course. There, there, there is real love displayed in yeah. both the content of your stand-up and in this book. Um, Sophia, is it okay for me to ask you what it's like? Because I was watching you tonight and you were having a great laugh. Is it okay to ask what you think about your mum doing material about you? It's clearly damaging. <laughs> no, fair enough. That doesn't sound like she's okay with it. It does, Mandy. <laughs> no, it really does. No, I'm joking. It does. It is. It's normal. And I don't think we're very cons- – we're not conservative. Like, we're not churchy no, people. No, you're not we? conservative. We're not churchy people. We don't do a lot of conservative churchy stuff. Uh <laughs> so it's kind of like we kind of um we're like oh yeah whatever we're very accepting. So and what about the writing process then? Because you have been that's Mandy... right. You asked that ages that's ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that I was did. before the drink thing. Yeah, and and I, I, yeah. I told someone this would t- this would last twenty five minutes. <laughs> 
No, a bit longer. So, like, Mandy, you've had been you've been writing for well, you've been writing for a the local time. paper for nearly twenty years, and for various other publications and your other previously published books. And Ellen, you know, you have obviously had that sort of sense and understanding and approach to the work. But what was it like then trying to work together? Because you would have had each other as mentors and critics, and you would have also had the uh, publishing company that decided to, you mm. know, publish your book, who probably had a few comments to make about your content. So what was that like? It, um, it was really nerve-wracking for me because I had never written a book and Mandy had written three before and I loved all her books and obviously <laughs> admired what she did. What was that? I was going three. Yeah, three. three books before I'll just call another fucking library and tell them that I've written three books. Um, <laughs> I do so that So I now. was really nervous because, the, you know, in, in, in a short form, we basically sat down and said we want to write this book, this is how many words we want, how will we break it into chapters, what are some topics we want to cover. Um, and there were some that, you know, Mandy wrote to but I didn't write to. There were some we both felt very strongly about so we wrote about both of those together. Um, well, you know, the chapter is written by both of us. And um, and I was really nervous, that first chapter that we sent. So then, then what we did, we had our chapter line up and we would say, okay, this week I'm going to write my chapter on feminism. And uh, Mandy would say, I'm going to write my birth story, for example, because then we could, we could compare them and not kind of cross over too much because the book would be really fucking boring if we're both writing the same thing. And I remember hitting send that day just and then going, oh, you know, like doing that thing where you feel a little bit icky and like, oh, fuck, I've got to go outside and have a swim or something, do something because Mandy's going to read it and what if she really hates it? Like, I was, what if I was she nervous just goes, too. What if it's shit? That yeah, you would have. Well, I was because I had actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really encouraging but – and I know how good Ellen's stand-up is and I know how articulate she is and I've seen some of the things she's written but what if I had to say to her it's not good? Yeah. And I'd have to because you can't, you can't proceed if it's – and I was so relieved. I went, oh, it's fucking good. <laughs> oh, now, live. The, the book, <laughs> if you haven't bought it or read it yet, the book travels through a fair – uh, and substantiated aspects of your life. And some of it is really deep and some of it's a bit frivolous. The cushion oh. section, for example. Oh, total. It's <laughs> a little bit light. Um, but then you get to the, the sort of intense stuff that uh, – and again, I know Sophie's in the audience, but your your sister, uh, Zoe, you know, she's had a pretty difficult life and you get very, very deep in that. And, I'm, and I was curious in that, that, that you kind of travel through this book and some of it's a bit of fun and some of it's really heartbreaking. And I guess I was interested in that in terms of how your editors approach that and how the two of you approach that together. I think part of that was like the cushions. I always think it's funny because I, I want people as a reader to see how shallow I am <laughs> at the same time and how, how, how much I care about things that don't matter and how much I care about things that do because I think that really, to me, explains a much more well-rounded humanity of who we are. The awful part of us, you never want people to see the shit that you shouldn't say because you're so shallow. <laughs> Just look at her. She loves cushions. Uh, and, and, and the writing with Zoe, because I went through such... And we, Zoe and I, like, Zoe wants to write her book too, which I think is really... I hope we get to do that one day. We talked about writing it, her story and my story and mother and daughter's story about travelling 
through what we travel through with with a lot of the stuff she went through. And it's not unusual because there's a lot of young people going through that. Um, and it felt like a, an important thing to write about. It felt like, how could, you know, this was my secret part of my life where I turn up to a gig after going through something pretty horrendous, you know, living with a young person who who has, you know, high levels at times of suicidality and self-harm and, and, and how do you reconcile that and how do you... You know, and and to not even and I, when I spoke to her about putting it in the book and writing the story, and I would not have published the chapter had she not read it and been okay with it. Um, and she's an adult when she did that; she wasn't a child. Um, and it is written with absolute respect, and I think it's really powerful because there's moments in that bleakness, because when when I was going through all that, there was no other stories to pull towards to say who's sharing my experience. There was just me in this quagmire of shit at times trying to find my way through and I remember and sometimes some things are incredibly like I'm not trying to write this story in this chat it's only one chapter but I'm not trying to make it really funny I'm, but there were funny times like one time it was my favorite story but you could hardly ever tell it because we were she had a very bad weekend of so long weekend of suicidality and she she asked for help and rang a psychiatrist and she said she needs to go to a psychiatric unit she was under 18 so you go to an adolescent mental health um, intake. So we drove to our local one in regional areas. They're not very good. And well, they're very good anywhere, actually. And I'm quite, um, I don't have anything good to say about any of the services. If you work in mental health for young people, I think it's shit. And um, that's kind of what I wanted to communicate was, was how hard it is. It's a very hard landscape. And we get there and she's a remarkable young woman. She's so fucking funny, but fuck, she's, she, she struggles with a lot of stuff. And we get there and we arrive and the woman says, the intake, the woman that does the intake, who, the nurse, wherever she was, and she goes, she goes, oh, I don't know if you should go in here because there's a lot of young girls in there at the moment trying to hang themselves. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Uh, okay. I said, that's fine. That's fine. We'll just go home. I'll do it. I'll sit there because when you've got a person, you go like a watch where you're there 24 hours and you sort of sit. I said, it's fine. We'll do it. And... My daughter just was looking, a bit, just like looked a bit shocked. And we went and got in the car and I said, Are you all right, love? And she goes, Yeah, they could have said they were fucking full. <laughs> <laughs> How brilliant is that? And I went, Yeah, a young person had more insight than the clinician yeah. um, about what they should have said. And, and I think we miss out on the wisdom of young people. And that's why I'm, you know, I, I really hope she does get to tell her story because I think it, I think they're really important stories. I really do think as hard as it is, I think they're important stories to tell because we have to get through, we have to find a way through it. We have to find a way to support other parents to navigate it. And it's really, it's hard to live it. It's mm. been, in fact, living it. There's been times, I remember one gig we were going to, Mandy, where we were driving and, and Zoe had, had actually gone into one of those places and you were told not to answer the phone to her. Oh. And as we were driving, the phone was just ringing and ringing and I could see the number come up and Mandy was bawling, you know, as we were driving to this gig and so I put the phone on silent and I could feel it vibrating, you know, and she knows that's her daughter saying, help me, get me out of here. And we went and Mandy gets on stage and does a performance like you saw tonight and I was just dumbfounded side well, of yeah, stage, you know. Do it but, and 
there's that piece that you get on stage, mm. isn't there, where you get on stage and you can forget about all of that yeah. for that short amount of time and then we get back in the car and it's back to reality. So it's been, it's it been is, quite it amazing pl- going through that with you actually. And in saying that, she's a young person that's actually come through a lot of the darkness and is, yeah. is coming up out of it into her light, which is a beautiful thing to see. Um and that, and that, and you know, and that's part of having a really open narrative and open conversation all the time. Put all of us in our family, put everything like that is, you know, I would never do comedy about that on stage because it's not appropriate. And that's why I asked her permission. Can I tell part of our story? Because we actually do want to write our story of what, and, but I want to write it when she's I said, let's wait another year till you're further out. And then we can reflect back and we can write the story. Because mm. I don't know, that, it just feels, like, you know, that's why I said well, one little chapter. Yeah, we wanted to put that in. And you put your mum in too because you had I'm, a really hard story yeah, about your mum. Yeah. And we wanted to put those those chapters in because it's what a lot of women who will read that book are going through. You know, that my, my really big issue at the moment is ageing parents or one parent now, one has died and, and it's, a hor- it's a horrible situation, it's a horrible relationship and reconciling with that, you know, Mandy's is with her daughter, and there's and and those chapters, lots of people come up to us and say, "Wow, I'm living through that myself at the moment," you know. And so it's just being, um, what's that noise? <laughs> no, that's, that's a, just the local lady, industrial train. I've got to say, there's a lady in the area. It's got a very big vibrator. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Um, Joan Didion says I write entirely so I can understand myself and I think yeah. largely you do too and mm. that manifests itself into yeah. live stand-up material and also the, the further um, uh, paraphernalia that comes with yes. writing a long-form book. So, listen, thank you all so much for sticking around thank tonight. You. And being we part did. of... Yeah, thank you for staying. Funny about books. And uh, for being part of our audience here tonight at this television Newport Comedy Room, thank you also to to Scotty and to Stewie and all the crew here and to yes. Two Birds for helping us out tonight. And we hope to see you all again. Please, will you give a huge round to Mandy and Ellen for their incredibly open-heartedness. Thank you. And thanks for having us back, Stella. It's such a beautiful... Yeah, thank it's you. really beautiful to come back here. It, yeah, Great. it's beautiful. Thank, thank you all you. so much. <laughs> We'll be back every year. Oh, we'll be back every year. Don't worry. I'll wear a bra next time. Sorry. (laughs) Don't lie.